Welcome back to About South. This week, we're joined by the lovely, the fantastic Brigitte Bidet, one of Atlanta's most respected drag performers. Brigitte is not only a classically trained dancer, she's also a founding member of Legendary Children ATL. In addition to being a favorite host for Wussy Mag, she's also appeared as Dolly Parton number five in Netflix's original film, Dumplin', starring Jennifer Aniston. We sit down with Brigitte to talk all things drag in the South and about the queer community in Atlanta. And so you're forewarned, this episode references sex, drugs, and pop music, and we sometimes use strong language. It may not be suitable for all listeners. I'm Gina Kaysen, and this is About South. Today, we are joined by Brigitte Bidet, who is one of the most famous drag queens in Atlanta and is part of a family that's had some pretty big stars. So not only are you locally famous, you have national fame, perhaps. Is that true? I would agree with that statement. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you should own it. Yes, I'm the most famous person I'm you've humble. had. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And you've been performing in the city for a long time. You're originally from the South. Mm-hmm. You moved away to Chicago yeah. for school. Mm-hmm. And then you came back to Atlanta and have had a performing career here. Ever since. Now, we want to talk to you about that. Um, did you come back to Atlanta thinking, I want to be in the drag scene in Atlanta? Or did you come back? How did this work? How did you get into the drag scene in Atlanta? I'm trying to remember that myself, honestly, <laughs> because I can't remember like what initiated what. But after I finished school, like I didn't see a lot of opportunities for myself because I started dancing really late and everyone in Chicago like had the same dream as me and all my professors that I had were running the dance scene so they knew like my flaws and they want to you know hire the person that can like spin on their head and kick themselves in the face you know which I get um so I felt really discouraged and my friends were doing some cool stuff in Atlanta like um like she started her own collective I saw that people were like able to do stuff down here on their own like self-produced and I thought I was gonna do that. I thought I was gonna be some kind of like radical queer performance artist. And then that led to being a drag queen, <laughs> which is connected in a way, but not like as highbrow as I was originally projecting. But um, yeah, I was just like cold and poor after school. And I was like, I'm gonna go back home because I have some really great friends that I grew up with that live here that I've known since I was like five years old. And I wanted to be closer with them. 
you were saying it's not maybe as highbrow as you were expecting, but how did you kind of bring, do you think you brought that radical queer performance art idea into your persona? Or like, how did that influence that? Yeah, I think definitely reference all the like art school knowledge I acquired. And I worked with Guillermo Gomez Peña, who is like the first... I think Mexican-American to be awarded the MacArthur Fellowship. I got to do a workshop with him in Chicago and um, that really inspired me seeing the kind of work he was doing. I mean, he was talking about shit that we're just now discussing in the mainstream, border identities. Couple in a cage. Yeah. Yeah, with definitely. Coco Fusco. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing that you know that. I know uh, a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> because I reference him and everyone's like, who? You know, like, No, he's care. amazing. I love yeah. that um that uh like codices book that he did mm-hmm. where he picks up all the imagery of capitalism but he puts it in uh like Mesoamerican ancient glyph text. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Brilliant human being. And so that made me want to be like that. And um, we, they had a workshop with, like, all the artists in the city. You had to apply. And I, like, even on the thing, it was, like, what's your gender identity? And I was, like, 70% male, 30%, like, wrote that thinking it would get me a better chance of being selected. And then I got selected. And then at the end of the week, they picked, like, three or four of us to be in their show with them. And I was picked. And I had to wear this, like cool kind of rubbery bondage stuff with like a tutu and like put lube on it to make it shiny and heels and I just was like felt like this was something that I would be interested in pursuing or like sharing with other people and I felt like no one in Atlanta was doing anything like that so I could just come down and be like the big fish in the small pond and I didn't really do much of it after I moved here, but I had all of that like inspiration that carried me. And then I started watching RuPaul's Drag Race and was like obsessed and wanted to be a drag queen and didn't realize how hard it actually is to be one, but um, that definitely... I know it sounds kind of corny to be like, you're either the person who wanted to do drag before it was cool or you're somebody who only knew about drag because of this one show. But, like, whatever. I mean, now that's in season 5 million, and, like, a lot of the contestants were, like, in middle school when the show came out, you know, so. So, to go back to this, I mean, RuPaul also comes out of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So, the South does have a long, in Atlanta in particular, a long Mm -hmm. traditional relationship with drag. Yeah. So, how has the idea of the South influenced you, um... Does it affect your work or in your performance? How do you think about this relationship? Because you bring up the South a lot in your YouTube interviews. Mm-hmm. Because if you have someone on and they say they're from Texas, I notice you'll say, oh, they're from the South. You're from yeah. the South. So you, this is clearly something that matters, I think. Yeah, because when my friend, um, my friends, John Dean and Matt Jones, uh, and Zeta, I don't know who all, and Blake England, they were all these people who started Wussy, which is like a southern queer publication highlighting queer artists in the South. So that was always something that we tried to represent. And so if we found out someone was southern, we wanted to make sure that we discussed that as 
part of their identity. But every time I'm asked about my relationship as a Southerner, I go back and forth because, like, my parents are both from the North, and my upbringing was very much not Southern. It was Southern because of I was in school with a lot of, like, rednecks in Mableton, Georgia, you know? I used to have, like, a thick Southern accent when I was in elementary school, um, which luckily went away. <laughs> but I think there's... Um, an even deeper connection for people who had a more Southern upbringing. I was kind of like Southern adjacent, you know? I was just living in this world and knowing already from a young age how different I was, so I didn't really like hang out with the good old boys and shit like that. I didn't go hunting or fishing, you know? So I was never felt like I was really representing the South. I just know that I live here and like as a result infused with Southern ideas just from being around them and, and being educated by old Southern women and things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Do you think it makes you think about the the gender performance of drag and like and like you were saying like old southern women like is there something mm -hmm. in the way um that you as brigitte sort of approach maybe the idea of performance? I've, I've never really considered it like that but i do think it, it had to have been influenced by like these southern ladies that i saw growing up um but then again, like, all of my performances are really inspired by, like, either Broadway divas or, like, pop star divas that, like, I was obsessed with Britney Spears growing up, like, that kind of thing. And Who's also from the South. Yeah, but she's not, like, a blue-haired lady, you know what I mean? <laughs> she will be, yeah. give it time. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know how much I'm referencing... Even like Dolly Parton, although I've played her, you know, right. in the movie. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. I developed my aesthetic based on me wanting to be more comfortable as a drag performer, which is controversial because some people are like, commit to your look. I don't care. My drag mother, Dax exclamation point, would literally have a bottle of Advil in her purse to take throughout the night when things got really painful. And I'm just like, I hate that. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. Of course your feet are gonna hurt after a while or your wig's been on for 12 hours, you know, it does start to get uncomfortable in that way, but those are more manageable than like, oh my God, I'm gonna shit my pants because my corset's so tight, or oh, I duct taped and I can't pee for six hours. Like that kind of stuff is, I commend the people that do that, but my aesthetic is really informed by avoiding those kinds of things, which, I have no problem with, you know, the people that do have a problem with my drag are just that, other people, not me. And so I developed my aesthetic in that way. And then as a performer, one of the reasons I even started is because I would go to the shows and I was like, these people suck. Like, I'm so bored. And 
that was before I knew what went into it. And so I'm like, wow, they're actually really talented and they look amazing and blah, blah, blah. But I want someone to perform. I want to be entertained. And there are a lot of different perceptions of what that means to be entertaining. But for me, it's like I can feel a reaction from the crowd when I'm doing a good job. And because of my dance background, I'm able to do splits and cartwheels. And my latest party trick is a headstand, which I love to do. Um, so I want to make someone feel some type of way. When as a result, I get more money because I'm, you know, twerking on the wall. It's kind of like you're queering drag. Mm-hmm. Right. In a way. Yeah, because if drag was like, oh, it used to be this like buxom ball gown yeah look and you're like but why does performing have to look like that and is that a performance yes i guess it's a performance because walking out of your house is a performance but is it entertaining right no it's not not to me at least and as an internationally acclaimed artist (laughs) i do know what i'm talking about I do want to offer my knowledge and my abilities to drag. If that means not wearing breasts, whatever. There are women out there who've had double mastectomies. Are they not women anymore? There are women who can't have children. Are they not women? There are women who don't have hips. This whole like body image, yes, I get that in the glory days of drag there was the ideal, the hourglass or the the divine feminine silhouette or whatever, but in this day and age where we're we're pushing for inclusivity and equality there is really no need to uphold some kind of antiquated idealistic stuff like that and so for me to be able to come in wearing whatever the fuck I want you know I'll you won't catch me with like chest hair and a beard because that's not really my brand but I'm very feminine as an entertainer and as I present myself and then I get a little crazy with it in the way that I might dance or move on stage but it's still coming from a really trained place so people can see that as I perform and I love to just give that culture of Atlanta fitting in with the queer community of Atlanta? Is it central? Is it always been this separate kind of vein? How does it go together for you? It goes back and forth because I hear about the glory days of Backstreet um, and the 90s and 80s drag and 
they used to fill up trash bags with money because they got so many tips. And I've seen videos of these like legendary performers. And that was like the glory days or the golden age. But Atlanta is has this really extraordinary legacy as a mecca for drag entertainment. And then it kind of faded a little bit and then Drag Race came out and exploded again and I kind of swooped in and started my own scene in East Atlanta with my friends and then made the crossover to Midtown like I'm kind of one of the first people from East Atlanta to cross over with the exception of like Violet and Crying Cali so going from the underground to the mainstream kind of thing was part of my journey but now it's like the bars are closing you know we all quit Burkhart's last year or the year before and then it kind of screwed us all over by doing the right thing like as it does never gonna make that mistake again <laughs> um the right thing is over it yeah. sucks yeah, yeah. <laughs> like who cares about being fair and honest and integrity never heard of it you know <laughs> but now um the shows are less and less and even at blake's they the bartenders made a fuss saying that the shows have to end by 12 15 because they don't make as much money during our performances and blah 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 i'm like you make way more money than us throughout the course of a night but Again, it's like minimizing the value of the drag show. I mean, like, can you just hurry this thing up? And I, I'm always scared that they're going to tell us, like, yeah, we don't want to do the drag shows anymore. And then I'm like, fuck, I don't have a job. But I could, you know, create my own show somewhere else and make a new job for myself. But again, it's like you, some days you feel like it's really respected, your place in the community. And other times you feel like people look at it like, what? what's the point? Why do people even do it? That's kind of unfortunate to think about Midtown and like queer community in Atlanta treating drag performance like it's a relic or something. Mm -hmm. Like it's not still, yeah. like you said, this is still a very big deal in this city. Mm -hmm. but and everywhere, you know, yeah. you look at like I, my social media is like mostly other drag queens and there are shows everywhere every night, you know, someone's getting a dollar handed to them somewhere. So it's like that, confirms for me that there is still a place for it but then you have shit like this happen and you're just like what's gonna happen ultimately or is this just like a lull because we are having a shortage of spaces like the jungle closed down Burkhart's shut down but now reopen is Midtown Moon but it is not the same like it has no sort of the same draw of crowds and things like that um, if we lose these queer spaces and keep getting priced out, like, 10th and Piedmont, eventually that will probably be condos, you know what I mean? Because that's just the way the cookie crumbles. The Atlanta History Center is starting an LGBTQ tour cool. of the city. Wow. All of the sites, though, are now condos mm -hmm. and banks so all these places were something i think um flex spa is like the only place that oh, maybe yeah. is still it's not the same name <laughs> but it's still what it always has been uh-huh and it's interesting to me that at the time that it's so great that that's getting the recognition of an atlanta history center mm -hmm. tour 
but at the same time that it becomes part of sanctioned history mm-hmm. there's is there do people then think well we don't have to support the living community right because oh now it's part of the historical narrative so yeah. like everything's fine we did our part exactly yeah well you even look at um marcia p johnson one of the most connected names to the stonewall riots and the whole gay liberation front has been reduced to a little plaque on a sign in new york like this is where we found her body kind of thing and it's still referred to as a drag queen when she was actually a trans person of color. You know, those kind of things is where we're getting a bit, like, foggy. You know, do I need a Lincoln Memorial of RuPaul to make me feel like my history won't be erased? Not necessarily, but what will become of that? And also, everything's archived digitally. So, like, my great-great-grandson will look at his dead drag queen grandma's Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, oh, remembering Brigitte Bidet, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So I go back and forth of, like, feeling hopeless and then being very hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go on a guided tour of, like, this is the bank where, you know, people used to buy Coke and suck dick? Like, not necessarily, but I see where it could have some value. Depends upon the audience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that that's how the Atlanta history center. Yeah. I don't think that's on the app. <laughs> but we'll double check. <laughs> we have yeah, some maybe feedback. Maybe ask them about that. <laughs> I think that is a tour one can take of Atlanta, but I don't think it's sponsored by the history center. Yeah. You just have to get on the apps. Yeah. That's another app. Yeah. <laughs> There's another but app for that. I, I often joke that like... I want to stay in Atlanta long enough to where, like, a street's named after me or something. Or I'm, like, 90 years old and someone sends me a martini and I'm like, oh, we used to perform together and blah, 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 you know? So I do feel like there is a place for that here of, like, growing deep roots and being a respected member of your community. But everyone gets a little bit of notoriety and then run off to L.A. or New York and... Don't do that. I'm not going to do that. Appreciate no, you guys I not leave us. <laughs> no, and I don't want to. And I even said, you know, as my career continues to grow, that I wouldn't leave the city. And if and when I get on Drag Race, like, I would come back and use that to keep um, nourishing the existing scene. gears slightly you recently posted a video where Mm -hmm. you said i think it was a july 4th video that being gay is so political in the Mm -hmm. south yeah and (laughs) that like just existing in the south it's like oh here are my politics Mm -hmm. um although it was really i'm projecting because you really i think the only lines are being gay in the south is so political and then does my human hair not hurt when pulled yes (laughs) (laughs) um which i think is a frederick Douglass quote (laughs) just kidding (laughs) (laughs) no offense frederick um mr Douglass. yes Uh, (laughs) that's very good um What did you mean by that? Do you think that's true? Um, I actually just said it, like, to be a stupid bitch, but I do believe it's true, yes. Um, 
But I was saying also, see, this is the part of me that really sucks because I see everything from every side to the point where I'm like always straddling the fence and I need to just like pick a fucking side and own it. But I think at a, at a point in time, it was definitely harder to be queer in the South because of the deeply conservative, racist, Christian, homophobic, patriarchal structures that were stronger in the South. It's just kind of known. Um, but at the same time, to paint a whole part of the country as these, like, dumb rednecks isn't fair. And also, like, when the heartbeat bill passed and the movie industry, you know, wanted to leave and everyone was like, of course that bill passed. It's the South. It's like, no, the South is actually a really diverse, beautiful place full of, like, incredible people who, because of this um, disenfranchised way of being brought up made them even more complex and interesting people. So I argue with making sweeping statements about the South. I don't think it's fair. But at the same time, you cannot fucking deny that this is Trump country and you drive outside of Atlanta and it's Trump, 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 trucks, guns, Confederate flags flying through the fucking air, like, you can't deny that. And so, when I say being gay in the South is so political, that's kind of what I'm referring to, because just existing is such an act of protest versus hiding or being in the closet, I guess. It's easier because there are gay people in mainstream media, Pose is on and renewed for a third season, which is great, you know? it's planting those seeds that these people exist and have always existed, first of all. But I love this idea that just by not giving up, you're being radical. So it's easier for me because I'm cisgendered, I'm white, I'm a man. I can put it on and take it off when I want. Not the gay thing, but the drag thing for sure. Um, the gender queerness. But... Yeah, for me to be able to use whatever privilege I'm carrying to help with visibility and call that shit out, I'm more than happy to do that. And when I'm on the mic, I'm constantly talking about current events in politics and the way it's affecting us. And some people, it goes right over their head. Some people approach me after the show like, I'm so glad that you mentioned that and da-da-da. You know, I often joke like, yeah, I took a women's studies class in college. I know what I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> because I think that a lot of people read the headline and don't read the article. So they'll hear a concept that they think kind of defines their marginalized experience and then use that as an excuse for every misfortune that comes their way. But there are people who study this shit, who live and breathe queer theory and actively research it and so these concepts that I bring up about identity politics are important for people to hear and I do believe that me being a drag queen in the south is a kind of cool way of being political you know that's a really long way of saying that but I do believe that and I'm can pass, you know, I'm really polished now and have beautiful wigs and 
beautiful costumes, my makeup is super polished, I can walk into the W Hotel and not give a shit that people are like, some people absolutely hate it, you know, think I'm a freak of nature, but the vast majority are so enchanted by this character that it kind of shifts the way they think about gender presentation and things like that. You know, when I host Drag Bingo at the W in Midtown, there are a lot of straight men that like come up to me at the end and they're like, hey, you did a really good job. And I'm like, <laughs> thanks, you know. <laughs> but it's using that humor and that beauty to be subversive and like kind of let a few more people sneak in because I'm there making other people feel comfortable about something they'd otherwise feel very uncomfortable with. Where can listeners see you perform? Where can um, they find Brigitte? I perform at Blake's on the Park, which is on 10th, uh, 10th and Piedmont, which was like the gay intersection. There used to be the outright bookstore, which closed down, and you know, all the gay people used to live in Midtown but are being priced out. Um, I perform at Blake's Thursdays and Fridays at 11 o'clock. Once a month, we do shows at Mary's, the first Saturday of every month. Um, I can also be found performing at MSR occasionally. We're doing a new drag competition called Miss Edgewood at Noni's that starts in September, I think. So that will be a weekly competition that I'm hosting. And I also perform with Wussy, so we do different events. We post it on all our social media, but I'm kind of one of the main hosts and performers for all Wussy events. And of course, I'll be at Atlanta Pride, which I think is October 10th through the 12th. Thank you for listening this week. We want to extend a huge thank you to Brigitte for joining us for this conversation. And we also want to thank Chris Townsend for providing a recording space at the last minute. About South is brought to you from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. This week's episode was guest produced by Timothy Walker and Kelly Vines edited the show. Ajoa Danso is our other co-producer and Jessica Parker joins us this season as an assistant producer. Our regular theme music is by Brian Horton, but this week you heard hits from Dolly Parton, Bette Midler, and Atlanta's own RuPaul. You can find links to all of this content on our website, aboutsouthpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And most importantly, you can find Rajit Bidet on all the social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Brigitte Bidet. Links are, again, on our website. We're approaching our mid-season break, so we won't see you for two weeks, but we will rerun some of our favorite episodes. And then we're back on September 20th with Hillary Holly of Stacey Abrams' Fair Fight organization. We'll see you then.
when I was in college, I originally went for musical theater and was in an acting class. And my teacher was like, oh, I just cannot stand watching you. You're so unaware of your body. You need to find your golden arrow and like gestured to his dick or whatever the fuck he meant by that. And I was like, I want to find my golden arrow. Like so discouraged <laughs> and went to I the, do not want to find the golden arrow. Yeah. <laughs> I've, right I've found a lot the of them. arrows can just like go <laughs> yeah, somewhere. Send them my way. <laughs> 